episode of Healing in Plain Sight. I'm Echo. I'm Jok. And I'm Jenny.、Uh, so in this episode, we're going to talking about assessment and how we can use our assessment at work. Awesome! Great assessments. I have a question, guys. What's your MBTI? I can go first.、Uh, so I've taken it for fun a couple times, and、uh, I get、uh, ENFP sometimes. Uh, ENFP. Yeah, so the E is、um, uh, extrovert.、Uh, gosh, what is the N? Somebody. Intuition. Intuition. F is for、uh, F is for feeling. <laughs>、uh-huh. P is perceiver. And for me, sometimes I actually switch between a, a P um,、uh, and a J. And I think a J is.、Uh, a, I was going to say judgmental. <laughs> Judgment. Yes. Thank you, Echo. I am judgmental too. <laughs> Are we all? What about you, Echo? Um, I actually had the biggest switch over I and E, which is quite interesting because um, I took it multiple times, like you guys, and um, I also took it in the in English settings where I'm here, like in the states, and I took it in the Chinese version where I. Uh, that was like my life before coming to the states, and I think in the Chinese version that I took, I was a Yi, which is extrovert. That I'm getting the energy, being hang out with people, and I know <laughs> I wish Chinese Americans can see everyone's facial expression. Extrovert.、Uh, I don't believe it either、uh, in these days, especially after pandemic. Nope. Don't want to see anyone,、uh, <laughs> and、uh, but it has been I after、um, this crazy、um, years.、Uh, I would say like ever since like I I taking the I think I took it when I was in year one in the master program, and I take it after I graduated and in the work settings.、Um, it has always been I ever since,、um, and then I think it's either ENTJ or I. NTJ, but it has always been NTJ. That has been very stable for me. All right, so it's reliable for you, and we'll talk about what more、um, what reliable means.、Um, I'm I've always been an ISTJ. I've taken the free versions. I've taken the the actual paid versions. Always been an ISTJ. Huh, interesting. So that's a good segue into today's topic, which is about assessments, right? Yes, exactly. Just naturally, as psychologists, like we all wanted to categorize people in certain buckets and trying to predict their behavior patterns, things like that.、Um, but I know it, it can be really irritating when someone talking about like a bad assessments and、uh, thinking about this documentary that. Went out back in like 2021. The title for that documentary, I think it's called Persona. It's on HBO Max. In that episode that where they talked about、uh, MBTI as assessment, the important part in that documentary was、um, they have been talking about how some of the、uh, companies started to using MBTI, which is unvalidated. Assessment tool and、uh, has gotten some popularity among、uh, companies using for、uh, their selection process. And what come out is、um, some of the candidates got reject because some of the traits are not considered being fitting into the job that required for. When this documentary just came out, 
there were some heated debate on like how should we using the assessment, what type of assessment that we should be looking at, how the assessment should be properly validated before we can start to make for employee decision. And I, I thought one thing that came out in that documentary was super interesting. And this goes back to that validity topic. When we are doing selections for those employment posts, we wanted to see what type of person, what kind of people that come into recruiting process are best candidates that might demonstrate future performance. So we want this. So one of the criteria that we will set for validate the uh, validity of the, the measures or the assessment is the job performance. So in that case, we wanted to see the assessment that they gave it to the candidates have a strong correlation to the job performance. But I think in the documentary, what it says is it's actually demonstrate very weak correlation between the MBTI assessment and job performance. And therefore it has sparked some of the question on like, why do, do they even like start using the personality tests for those things? Uh, because also at the same time, like personality is regarded as more of a stable, that's something like not easily too malleable and people just feel like this is more of a fixed versus something that they can develop, grow over time. Um, so I think that's some of the controversy that I have heard or seen from that documentary. I would say like to get a sense of people's personality when you're working with them to know what their style is like. And I think that allows you to kind of feel each other out and whatnot in the workplace. But in terms of uh, the MBTI uh, being used for, uh, I think, uh, a form of assessment to predict uh, validity or sorry, predict uh, job performance. Um, I'm not sure how well it, it does that. And um, I do work in, um, I, I do hire folks uh, in my previous role, in my current role right now. And what we try to do is uh, when we have assessments, we make sure that's related to the job, uh, very much so in terms of content so that there isn't a possibility or there's limited possibilities that people would uh, take us to court and sue us. I mean, that's one of the things that we worry about and probably why we would probably never use the MBTI in uh, uh, selecting folks. So have you ever been in a, on a job where they've used the MBTI for selection? I haven't. Um, yeah, I, me neither. Yeah, I haven't seen any uh, company that uh, personally that I interviewed for or that I'm aware of was using it. Uh, but even in that documentary, I recall, um, I think a lot of the companies or the manufacturer were using it was blue corner type of roles. Um, so like I think one example they used was like a Kroger supermarket. There, uh, they, they were trying to recruit for like a cashier or some of the uh, warehouse workers. And I found that quite, quite interesting because I know some companies also spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to those um, assessment companies trying to buy their assessment center. Um, and ask them to design and develop a certain 
assessment for their specific jobs. Um, but MBTI is right there. Like there are so many versions of different um, tools that is already out there in the market and some people can just use it. Uh, so in this documentary, were they using the MBTI as part of the assessment process? Yeah, so I think what is, uh, that's why the, I think the documentary was describing this as like a dark side of the personality test. Um, so they were actually using MBTI to recruit and select uh, some of the victims that coming to the screen and talking about their experiences, how they get discriminated because they they were assessed for a certain type of personality that was not considered as suitable for the job that they are applying for. Um, so there's a whole set of this like ethical questions that has arised and even like all the criticisms about like how they should be using assessment, how they should be using personality assessment in particular, because in some of the settings that personality tests what or, or the personality itself is considered as more of a stable, unchangeable, unmanipulable uh, traits versus when you in the work settings, there's always room for grow and develop. Um, so that that has been like called out as um, one big thing. Um, the other thing they have been called out in that docu documentary is MBTI assessment itself has always been showing very poor correlation to job uh, performance. So that actually casts this in question is why do those companies will use this for selecting the candidates? Because clearly this assessment doesn't indicate any of the future performance for their employees. So they started to question like why they started using this. Um, and the third one is, uh, I personally haven't dug into this like too much. Um, but they apparently they were mentioning that MBTI was kind of derived from Carl Jung's theory, uh, which some part of it has been outdated and has shown some of the racial discriminations. I'm not personally very familiar with that part of the history, but um, apparently it just gets some nerves for some of the psychiatrists and some people who knows this matter. Um, so that's another thing that they called out is like how inherently that this is uh, racial discrimination for some people. Echo, is that uh, the the Jung, Does that follow the like the Jungian Jungian archetypes? I actually not quite sure like which they referring to on that part of the story, but I think in the documentary itself they have been talking about is. Uh, Carl Jung's theory itself. Okay. I ask that because like there's also like his work is kind of based on stereotypes as well too and I think there's in a way like I think uh, even Lauren Michaels has, has uh, the I think the uh, something with Saturday Night Live he's an executive director of Saturday Night Live and he hires people he hires them based on these like union archetypes of like who's funny who's not and he think he I think there's an interview uh, of him like saying that he uses archetypes in a way like stereotypes to um, this code for stereotypes yeah. just another mm -hmm. way of saying stereotypes mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, uh, it's it's kind of uh, when I heard that it was it was kind of so frustrating to me because I'm like Lauren Michaels like you're saying you're using stereotypes of people uh, to 
in a way assess their sense of humor if their sense of humor matches with yours or other folks that you uh, uh, deem to be funny then you bring them in but you may not bring them in because you don't may not see this uh, other uh, forms of humor and mm-hmm. for me if i tie that to if we tie that from like uh from like senses of humor to like even leadership um we know uh based on uh other studies um previous studies that there are different perceptions of leadership that uh, white candidates have, black candidates have versus Asian candidates. And draw a blank. <laughs> and that, I guess that's the thing that... Um... I mean, I think that's a great example, Doug. Because like yeah. the Lauren Michaels example, um, I, I think he just vocalized or said what a lot of people do in their job mm. and when they are looking for candidates, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and Doug, what you mentioned there just totally remind me of the 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 article that we all re- uh, read um, years ago. Um, it's done by Syed Um But then, I mean, like I, I was trying to recall a few other authors in that. Yeah, Ning Shuo, I think. I think we should just go back to that article. So the article was about archetypes that people have in their head about who's a leader and who's not. Correct. And in that case, that people have been uh, seeing that, um, and in their study, they, they look at like for Asian Americans and for uh, white Americans, and they look at them in both engineering and sales uh, occupations. Um, okay, so-, so engineering and sales, assuming Correct. that the engineering role would be more archetypically uh, matched to Asians versus sales would be more match to what we consider white leaders. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. And what they found was Asians don't match with sales, but they match with engineering, but Uh, white people. Yes. Yes. And, and also in that case that they also seem like when people are actually being viewed as leaders, uh, in those roles, um, they see white people are demonstrating like dynamic or tyrannic attributes, uh, meaning that they are dynamic and they see them sometimes can be intimidating to other people, whereas like they see this like very differently uh, for Asians, um, which they can also see like people just having a different archetype in mind where like Asians should be look like when they were actually seen as like leaders. And when you say tyrannical, that means like agentic, like go-getter, like sort of like a tyrant, but in a leader form? Uh, yeah. And some of them, um, I think the the, the word, exact word they use is like a tyranny. And so mm-hmm. you can also imagine like agentic sometimes even depends on the context. In this yeah, case, I just want a white tyrant as my leader. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why is that fair? That's not fair. Why can't Asians be tyrannical too? <laughs> oh, and yeah, Asians can be tyrannical. <laughs> but it sounds like it sounds like from what Echo is saying is that Asians have to uh, have to come off as something else, right, to become uh, viewed as leader like. Yeah, in that case, that they only see Asians uh, as leaders when they are competent and they are dedicated to certain things. Uh, in this case, like, I mean, 
but versus like why they don't they don't have to be competent in order to be a leader Mm-hmm. And I remember from that study, they, they said that uh, this is bad for Asians because when you are a leader, it's not just about having the competence like an engineer. You also need the skills of a salesman. You also need that like interpersonal, that, that you know, uh, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, that people have that goes beyond your, do you, can you code? You know, you know, can you get this done? You have to have that extra thing. And people just don't think that Asians have that extra thing that white leaders have. And so this prevents them from getting promoted. Is that right? Yes. And in certain points is like, because also people already have that pre-assumption that you're not very good at those social skills. So they will automatically just put you in that lower rank on like, oh, those people can work. They, they are excellent workers, but they never be able to set up for the leadership role uh, because of those pre-assumed um, thinking they already have the mind for Asians. Hmm. I could definitely see the MBTI. Well, Doug, Doug, I was going to throw laughing. some some uh, some fuel on the fire for Echo. <laughs> and you too, Jen. Let's hear it. Well, what's the problem? I mean, you get like Asians got like uh, they're like uh, you know they uh, they're in these good jobs. And they're they're up there. Like, why why worry about leadership? Like, they have secured. Oh, you're playing devil's advocate. So they're they're overrepresented in yeah. STEM. They're they have these like high paying you know engineer jobs. They're so good, right? Who cares, right? Why, why, yeah, why? I mean, I think that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And then I think a lot of people think that way. But why does it matter? Like, why do we care? Well, I think it's the same way as we care if women can also have a space in the leadership roles. This is exactly the reason why we also care why um, Black and Latino population also have a space in the leadership role. Because when you have a system that is unevenly distributed in your workplace for a certain race, that itself is a workforce issue that you're facing. Why Asians can only be overly represented at the bottom, I think there's a systematic issue that they were facing when they're not be able to reach to that leadership roles. So our audience can't see this, but I I had to clean my tongue a little bit because I felt a little dirty just even saying that. <laughs> Why worry about this? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's a very good point because a lot of people think that way. Like, why are you complaining? Like, shut up, like let other people have the mic. But I think it for me, it goes back to representation. And if I see, an Asian leader at you know a company where I work at, then I think, oh, this is a company that I could grow with. Mm. Like I could see myself in that person. But when it, when you don't see that, you're sort of always wondering, like, you know, self-doubting yourself and wondering, are we even fit for this job? Yeah. yeah. And slightly like a slightly um, a different topic. And when someone, some reason like they they were having bad performance as a leader. For Asians, if they were in that role, that role didn't so bad for this entire population, where for someone, like if they were white and they, they were in the leadership role, people just saying, hey, this person just don't good at their job. But for Asian, it's very easily to sing as like, hey, that's because they're Asians and they're just not very good at doing like leadership roles. And we've seen that happens over and over for women, and and this could happen to Asians too. 
Oh yeah, so are, are you talking about the glass cliff ceiling that they, they tend to put like woman or a person of color in charge knowing that it's going to fail and when it does fail they they blame the person rather than blaming other circumstances? That's one. And the second piece is like if where people um, not very good at their job um, as a leader, I think it comes to like the fundamental like a contribute uh, attribution where they will very easily to attribute this to like individual uh, ability not be able to do that job well to some like white people, but they can very easily to attribute this to an entire Asian as a group as like they are not very good at doing their job as a leader. Yeah, so the stress to prove that's a lot of weight to carry for one person. Yeah. Actually, it kind of reminds me of like when Barack Obama became president. You all remember when he became president was it, uh, in 2008, right? When we had that downturn in the economy and the stock market was, uh, the economy slash the stock market was going to crash. And I think some of the uh, things I heard in the background was like, yep, he's, he's giving this job the worst job. <laughs> Uh, available to this black man to, you know, uh, to take this on. And, you know, he, I, I think he did a, a great job in, of getting us out of, uh, out of that, but it's, uh, it could have been, uh, the other outcome could have been, well, see, he, he couldn't have done the job because of X, Y, Z or whatever. And it's kind of frustrating when, uh, those attributions or like those stereotypes can be put upon other people that that negative stereotype of not being social enough not being leader like is put on that person before they even get a chance to showcase what they can do um yeah it's kind of frustrating to see that sometimes people don't get a chance and guess what you're going to have white leaders that are going to be incompetent and you know not uh, always hit the mark or perform right away and that's going to happen with other folks as well too. So why aren't we giving them a chance? Yeah. And I was gonna say this earlier on, but at the MBTI, I, I feel like where we would potentially get penalized, like Asians in general, is the E and the I part, the extra versus the introverted. Because the assumption is Asians are introverted, they don't have the interpersonal skills to be a leader. So I could see how something like that could potentially be used in the wrong hands, mm. could negatively affect, you know. Should we all started to advertise ourselves as like E? <laughs> 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 so I will no longer switch back to the Chinese version of me. It's just me. Yeah, I am the extrovert <laughs> in any occasions. And um, I can also perhaps like also arguing the same case for the J where uh, they can see like Asians lack of emotions uh, and like like lack of like a social ability um, where like you're being a J versus like a P that could allude to like, hey, this person is just like using the logic every single time and they're not like be able to relate to people. Um, so that could also potentially have some of the drawbacks when um, Asians are being categorized as J versus P. 
You know what's really surprising is the fact that prior to our call, I did a quick search to look at, um, like for example, the Hogan, the MBTI, just looking at racial differences. And surprisingly, I wasn't able to find much. There was one article that looked at white and black um, participants who took the Hogan. Um, what the Hogan is another leadership assessment and it's used widely in the corporate world, but they did find racial differences between how uh, white and black respondents answered a question, but this was from 20, 2006, I want to say. Again, we'll put this in the description, mm. but it's just kind of interesting that there hasn't been a lot of studies kind of validating these assessments. Yeah. Well, all those assessments, too, will say they all have been validated by so many times and... Um, which I think part of it is like a commercial reasons because they do sell assessments for profit. Um, and even like our dearest colleague in our programs graduated like years ago, she, uh, Naomi, she actually got, also got a data set from the Hogan uh, assessments. And she also find there are some gender difference, how mm-hmm. like women uh, take the assessments are different from like men. And so, like, how do we also think about from that regard in relation to their leadership uh, potentials in the organization? Yeah, I think one question on the Hogan is, I like to drive fast cars, and that's such a masculine stereotyped question. Actually, I I I will probably say yes. I really like to drive racing cars, uh, even though I don't have a car. <laughs> um, but I can totally see like how some item itself can be gender biased. Uh, in a way that uh, is hidden to some people. So I realized we talked about validity and reliability. I think we should define that, right? Dirk, this is your area of expertise. You want to define what reliability and validity mean for yeah. the non-IO audience? Oh my gosh. Oh, they have to be non-IO? All right, let me try to simplify it. Um, so reliability is the consistency of your measure. And uh, when we talk about validity, it's really about uh, we want to know whether you're, you know, if you're trying to measure um, leadership, if that measure is actually tapping into that. Uh, So there are special forms of that in forms of content, right, in the items that you put out there. And I think Echo and Jenny, you gave a great example of uh, poor content in that I like to drive fast cars. And that could be something that could be. Uh, uh, more men would like to do than women, but does it really actually differentiate leadership? We don't know. Maybe not. And we're I, we're leaning on the no on that. And I would say I don't want to drive fast cars because I'd rather have someone else drive me. <laughs> um, so um, we want to make sure that those items are valid. And usually, with a content validation, you have experts come in and actually judge those items on clarity and relevance. Uh, And in terms of the measure itself, uh, when we go through an assessment process, uh, what we want to make sure that uh, uh, what it does is that it's related to other measures. If you have a measure of uh, leadership, that it is related to or highly correlated with another um, uh, talent development or leadership scale as well, too. One that's been previously validated. So we know that it's highly related to that. So it's tapping into 
like uh, what we would say uh, in the uh, psychological world, a similar construct. And of course, we want it also to not measure certain things that we don't want it to me- uh, we don't want it to measure. Right? We want it to be dissimilar, right? So maybe we want it to be different from a uh, impression management. Uh, measure or even an eighth grade math exam or whatever it may be, something that's just totally different from it. So in a way, those are uh, uh, reliability and validity in a nutshell. Thank you, Doug. And I think uh, we actually had that example on some bad reliability look like, like in my case, that it actually flipped from I, from E to I, but I guess like we could argue because the environment has changed or the context has changed, but still like it really depends on like where this person take the test and how they look at the environment around them. And all of that will also affect the results itself. So using that for employment decisions, that's a very big decision in some that could affect someone's uh life being so i think that that's just something that we should be always be very cautious about can i add something real quick and this is like something that was just like really like pounded into me in my master's program in northern iowa uh is that validity is like a um it's a uh process and not an end goal right you can't just validate it once and that's it like you have to continuously uh add to it add more data to it uh, in a way, like we become psychometricians when we do that, when we want to add uh, more data to it, but it's actually in a way a good thing to add more folks who are in leadership who have not been previously in leadership roles to showcase like, hey, there are other forms of leadership. You don't have to just drive fast cars to, to be recognized as a leader. Um, and I would say in the work that I do uh, uh, right now, um, you know, uh, we, the assessments that we have, uh, we make sure we revise that with our subject matter experts each time we run a test. Uh, so we revise a, you know, uh, the written exam they have, the interview that they have, um, and sometimes even a practical uh, test that they have to do to showcase that they have the skill set in order to do that, to make sure that it's up to date. Uh, with the job that they're actually doing versus what it was five, 10 years ago, because your job actually can change. So if your organization is using the same scale or something that's really old and outdated from decades ago, you may want to revisit that and, or ask your local organizational psychologist within your organization when the last time they uh, um, revisited or revamped it, because some things could be out of, uh, out of date or just not or not used properly. And if that's the case, your organization now is prone for or uh, has the potential for there's potential for uh, litigation against your organization for uh, uh, using poor practices that are laid out by uh, both the government uh, and PSYOP uh, 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 that we have. And we'll link those uh, in the description. Uh, to have your selection process uh, updated. Uh, who's listening, who has uh, people running studies and uh, assessments, have um, industrial organizational psych- psychologists working for them. Um, if you got folks, oh, gosh, I know this came up uh, last time we spoke, Echo, 
and I think Jenny, you may be a part of it as well too, is that I think we said like sometimes in organizations we have like these employee experience surveys that are not uh, um, that are ran or created by non psychologists. <laughs> And they, they wonder why certain things don't work or certain things don't pan out or why data don't come out. And they come to us last minute and ask us to fix it. And we're like, nope, we can't because there's a whole process to this. And we can't fix what you just, you know, you know garbage in, garbage out. You're not going to get anything out of us for this. You can't bypass the process. You can't. Uh, so I know we've really thrown like the MBTI and, you know, the, the, the concept of assessments under the bus, but I think we want to leave on a positive note and say, you know, the MBTI is not complete bullshit. It's, it can be used for developmental purposes. It can be used to understand how your team and you think, but what we're saying is it should be used with caution. Never, it should never be used for selection, never be used to predict performance. That's how we're going to close out the. I think Echo has a haiku for us. Oh, nice. Uh, as usual, we have the haiku from ChatGPT. And for this episode, it write us uh, three lines. Um, those are hidden judgments cast, unvalidated tests deceive, bias clouds the choice. Um, I, do, I do think they the actually, um, those three lines uh, capture some of the essence from this episode, like on how we should be using assessments and how we should be using validated uh, assessments to eliminate some of the potential from discrimination or bias uh, that we see in those decisions. And what was the prompt that you used for this? Yes, so the prompt that I used is uh, write a haiku for implicit bias in unvalidated assessment in selection. I have to say I did make some tweaks because my first version was just having ChatGPT to write a haiku for running assessment, and it was like a very plain one. So I started to intentionally call out some of the pitfalls that people might have in using like assessments. Um, that's why the, the final version of it does seems like addressing some of the elements that we cared about. Um, yeah, so that's the trick. Yeah, we're making ChatGPT smarter with um, each and every episode. Whenever we ask them, we ask it to give us a prompt, right? Yeah. <laughs> to give us a haiku. All right. So this is just a, you know, a, a tip of the iceberg. We could probably spend an entire podcast, an entire podcast just dedicated to talking about assessments, but this was just like an introduction. We'll probably revisit this topic down the line again, but hopefully you guys liked listening to this. So tune in for our next episode. We'll catch you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye everyone.